We're continuing through Matthew. We are in eight, chapter 8. We're going to be at verse 18 today, uh, starting there, and we're going to finish out the chapter, Lord willing. And we are going to continue this idea that really capture is captured in chapters 8 and 9 together. And this idea is that Jesus has all authority in the world and deserves all allegiance from the world. Jesus has all authority in the world, and he deserves allegiance from the world. And you may say, well, that sounds a little familiar. Haven't you been saying something like that all along? And I I would say, yes, Matthew makes this theme very clear by saying Jesus has all authority so that all nations might pledge all allegiance to him. And so this week, as I was, I tend to scroll through Twitter, I admit it. And I'm scrolling through, and I see this book being promoted that's coming out. It's a brand new book called Truth Over Tribe. And I'm so that gets my attention because it sounds like religion and politics. And uh, yeah, that gets my attention. So I, I look and the subtitle is pledging allegiance to the lamb instead of the donkey or the elephant. Not bad, not bad. So I, I don't know anything about the book, so I don't know if it's any good. I'm not going to take a go read it or buy it. Um, it, it looks good. Um, and I might even check it out myself, but, but that's kind of what we're talking about in this authority thing. When we talk about Jesus and him having authority and how does that affect me? Well, it should affect you and me in that if somebody has authority over you, you either respect it or you don't. And how you carry yourself and how you interact with that person or being, says what you think about that person or being that has that authority, okay? And and we are under layers and layers of authority, right? I mean, all the way down to the homeroom teacher. Someone has authority. It feels like someone has authority. I'm always looking up at someone who has authority over me. Authority is a good thing when it's used properly, but even bad authority is better than no authority. Now, that sounds that sounds that doesn't sound quite right, but you think about it. If God puts into place the authorities of the world, Romans 13, right? All authorities. Let me just read the verse because it's I haven't. Um, Romans 13, right at the beginning of Romans 13. This is what God says about authority. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Do you think that when Paul wrote that, he was under a nice democratic governing um, government? Because he wasn't. He was under a, a Caesar. He was other, under the Roman Empire's authority, and they were barbecuing Christians, literally. And he says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, and his audience is Christian. So when we complain about being under the authority of our government, or our lo- whether it's local or national, God, it says, well, it says that God instituted those governments. That's the part I was supposed to be sharing with you. And if God puts that authority in place, we have a reason to ask the question, well, some of those authorities are really, really bad. Did he put them in place? Let everyone be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. Right? Hello. Well, that tells me that it's better to have a bad government than to not have a government at all, which would be anarchy. And none of us has experienced anarchy in any extended period of time. And that's probably a good thing because it would be pretty awful. Okay? 
So we pray for good. We want good authorities, right? We want God-honoring, godly authorities in our lives, but we don't get to pick them all the time. We can vote in our country. Some countries they can vote. Some countries you can't vote, but and they don't get to have a say-so in their in their government. But let's be thankful for the governing authorities that we have. And sometimes God has given it to us by grace, and sometimes he's giving us what we deserve. So there's a whole lot there, which is not really the focus of my th- thought, but th- this is why I bring it up. Because we're talking a lot about authority in the book of Matthew. And we generally, people, don't like authority. And, and what I'm trying to do is help you to see there's value in authority. It does matter who's in authority, but there's value in it. But ultimately, if we're not willing to follow the, the ultimate authority in our lives, the good authority that in our lives, that is God, our creator and redeemer, then that says more about us than it does about him. Okay? So with that in mind, remember in chapters 8 and 9 of Matthew, we see that Matthew has ordered this or organized this material in a pattern. Three miracles, two lessons on discipleship. Three more miracles, two more lessons on discipleship, and then he ends with three more miracles. Last week we looked at the first three miracles, and we saw that Jesus has authority over disease and demons. Okay, and we said demons are a real thing. They're just angels that turned against God, okay? A third of all the angelic host followed Lucifer and became what we call demons and opposed God and are unredeemable because they're not people. And Jesus deals with them, and we see that on the pages of Scripture. They're not gone yet, but there's a day coming when they will that punishment will be carried out. Today, we go to look at two discipleship principles, and then we'll move right into another a miracle or two. Now, here's what here's the question we're answering today. Okay? How not to follow how do we not follow Jesus? I know it sounds kind of awkward. It's a negative, but sometimes it's easier to determine what to do when we we eliminate what not to do. And and we're going to get a couple of examples here from Jesus. So let's look at these and see what we shouldn't do in the course of saying I want to follow Jesus. Starting in verse 18. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Okay, so the lake is the Sea of Galilee. He's in the region that is Galilee. He's near Capernaum, uh, which is his base of operations at this period in this part of his ministry. And he's just finished teaching the Sermon on the Mount, the words of Jesus. Now he's on the Sermon on the Move, if you will, the works of Jesus, which is what we're getting to see. And we saw last week in the healing of the leper, the healing of the paralyzed servant, and the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. And then the summary statement, when evening came, many were demon-possessed, were brought to him, and drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. Um, and that's at the end. That's in verse 16. So here we are. He's, he sees the crowd, and he could stay and continue to minister to them. He chooses not to. Okay, And that's because Jesus is here to do something beyond just miracles. Jesus is about the, the teaching and the word of his ministry. The miracles are a means to an end. They do a good thing. They heal physically. They cast a demon out literally. But what they're there to do ultimately is to show the power of the kingdom of God so that people will take the message of the kingdom of God seriously. We could use some of that around here. We could use some of that in America today. The church could use some of that today, right? We need to to remember that the kingdom of God is led by a king who has power. And this is, this is a little confusing because if you just follow the conversations, 
that are happening in our world today, in our country today, as it relates to Christianity, our nation, and power, there's a lot of confusion over how should Christians exercise power in the marketplace, in the political space, in our nation. And there's those who want to say, let's seize power for the glory of God. And there's others that say, yeah, let's do power like Jesus did and get on our knees and allow them to treat us maybe not the way we would want to be treated. And so there's this arguing and discussing and articles are flying this way and that way and Twitter is going nuts and people are having these conversations and it keeps coming back to how did Jesus do it and what did he do in the first place and what's his goal and what's he trying to accomplish? Okay, He has the authority. What does he deserve? Our allegiance. And he's not saying pledge allegiance to the donkey and he's not saying pledge allegiance to the elephant or any other political party animal. Party animal. (laughs) Uh, But pledge allegiance to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Okay? So when Jesus... Think about this. The power it took to defeat sin and death, shame and guilt, hell itself. What was that power? Surrender. Think about it. He surrendered when he went to the cross. He... He was nailed to the cross and he died. Now, you tell me if that's the way to win a fight. Right? We want to we want to um load up on ammo and and weapons and um bunkers and you name it. There's all kinds of, there's all kinds of ways to load up, okay? I just named a few. But really if we would just approach, if the church of Jesus Christ would just approach our leaders in our nation like Jesus did and like Jesus would, it would look different than it does and like it has. This first person that Jesus is going to talk, he's going to have this fellow come up to him. He's going to say, I want to follow you. Watch what this guy says. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross the other side of the lake. So presumably they're on their way to cross the lake. They haven't crossed the lake yet because something happens. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. What's wrong with that statement? Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. There's nothing wrong with that statement. Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. You would say, in fact, I would think Jesus might, I mean, you've got another follower, you know, reel him in, right? But not so fast. There's something about that statement that's not, it gives us a hint of something. Because look at Jesus' reply. This is what Jesus says. He says, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay or rest his head. Hmm. That's not what I was expecting you to say, Jesus, because if you're going to reel this guy in, you need to give him some more encouragement to continue to come. You're discouraging him from being a disciple, okay, which is exactly what Jesus is doing. He's encouraging this man to count the cost, to not follow with pride, with hubris. So, sure, this guy could have said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go, and could be totally genuine and totally legit. But Jesus' response gives me the sense that that's not what's going on here. Think about it. Who is this guy? So this guy, all we know about him is he says that he is a teacher of the law, which is another name for scribe. And this is like an attorney who doesn't do anything but the biblical law of the Old Testament. 
So they talk about dotting I's and crossing T's. They, they knew how to do that all over with the New Testament and the laws around it, and even the laws written around the Scriptures that were written by men, so the traditions and the interpretations of the law. He was an expert in all of that. He probably had, if not just the first five books, he probably had most of the Old Testament right here. Okay? And he comes to Jesus, and notice what he calls Jesus. He calls him teacher. Jesus is a teacher. He's the master teacher, right? But who is the scribe? He's a teacher. So what is he saying? Hey, we're equals. You hear it? Uh, I'm looking at your motley crew of disciples, and I don't see any other teachers. You could use me. How about I follow you too? And Jesus realizes what's going on, and he says, this guy has no clue what we're about and how we do things, so let me just give him a little taste. Um, If you follow me, you got to get rid of everything else, and I need to be enough because we don't even have a place that we call home. Now, that preaches, let me just tell you. That I can preach all day. Just don't make me live it. Yeah, because I don't want to be homeless. And neither did this teacher. Now, we don't know how it plays out, but we get this sense that Jesus is giving us, or Matthew is giving us a couple of negative examples because we have the next guy who comes up. And this guy says, uh, and it says in uh, verse 21, another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Sounds like a legitimate request to me. Even called him Lord. But what is Jesus' response? But Jesus told him, follow me, let the dead bury their own dead. Ouch. What's going on here? So, um, you probably already know this, but I'll just make, say it again because I think it's important that you know. When I prepare a message, I read and, and study the Scriptures, but I also read other things. Um, commentaries are, are kind of at the top of the list of things that I read. And basically that's other preacher guys or gals who have written books, and basically instead of preaching it this way, they preach it on paper. And they go through an extensive editing process, and some of these are more uh, academic than others. Some are more... Um, layperson-like than others, you know, easier to read, less Greek and Hebrew or whatever. But they're out there. There's all kinds. And um, the, there's three or four I've been relying on pretty heavily in these series through Matthew. Um, David Platt, um, Sinclair Ferguson, Kent Hughes, Sean O'Donnell are just some of the names. Okay, And they come from series of commentaries. And in those commentaries, when they come to this, they say, there's not, we're, not for sh- we're not sure exactly what's happening in this guy's life. But there's probably one of two things happening. And the good news is that the application is the same no matter what. Okay? And this is, and this is maybe two possibilities. One is this guy could be totally genuine and he's about to bury his father and he's like, hang on, let me get, let me get dad in the ground, honor him, take care of the family, and then I'll be right there. Okay? That's kind of the way I read it when I'm just reading it from my 20th, 21st century perspective. Okay? But commentators also wisely point out that back in those days, you didn't have refrigeration. When somebody died, you put the body in the ground as soon as possible or in, a, in the rock. They wrap it. They, they do the, 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 all the treatments of, of aromas and ointments and wrapped and kind of mummify and, and put them in a tomb. Really, most of those were oftentimes above-ground tombs because he stinketh, right? And there, we can't have that in that day and disease and all the rest is a part of this. This is not just smell. It's like dangerous. So if he's sitting here talking to Jesus, he's probably 
his dad hasn't probably died or he would be there dealing with that right in that moment. If he was about to die and on his deathbed, he would be there overseeing and the care and praying and all those things that you would do for someone who's on their deathbed. He's here. He's listening to Jesus. He's ready to follow him. Clearly, some commentators would say, this is a second scenario where he's saying basically this. One day my dad's going to die. I'm going to have to take care of the family business. I will receive my two shares of inheritance. Once that happens, I will follow you whenever that happens. So it depends on, you know, some say one, some say the other. It doesn't really matter to me. At the end of the day, Jesus says the same thing he says right here. Follow me and let the dead bury their dead. He's like, today, right now, if you mean what you say, let's go. Remember when he walked up to James and John and, and Peter and Andrew, he said, follow me. They dropped their nets. When he went to Matthew, the tax collector, he dropped his accounting books, and they just immediately... Now, it wasn't that that was necessarily the first time they ever heard him. I think they probably had heard and God had been working in their hearts and minds. But when Jesus came and said, follow me, they did then. Okay? And I don't think it's any different for you and me. Jesus is enough. That's the lesson from the first guy. And that we don't have this sense of entitlement and pride that we're equals with Jesus. He is more than a teacher. He is more than just Lord. He is creator, redeemer, and he deserves all of our allegiance, even if it means I I leave behind every single thing I have. He's worthy. He is enough, and I follow him today, or I'm not following him. Okay? Delayed obedience is disobedience. Okay? If I tell one of my kids, go take out the trash, and they don't take out the trash right away. They haven't obeyed yet, have they? It's not until the trash goes out that they've obeyed. Now, they may intend to, and, and if they communicate that and say, I'll get it in a minute, I'm good with that. That's To me, that's, that's fair, as long as that's the pattern and that's what happens. But you see, with God, it's the same way. He, he knows what our hearts are, are thinking, what our minds are thinking, what our hearts are doing when it comes to obedience. Now, we learn something else, so we learn not to be um, prideful and um, and not count the costs. That's one way we not follow Jesus. Another way is we learn that we don't compromise, like this, this second fella. Now, we're going to learn something about fear in this third one. This is Jesus calming the storm, starting in verse 23. Then he got into the boat, that is Jesus, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat Okay, but Jesus was sleeping. Okay, the disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And he replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up, rebuked the winds and the waves and was completely calm. It was completely calm. And these and and the, the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. So we have the 12 disciples and Jesus in a boat. And the boat in that day was you know, I don't know, maybe 20 feet long, open. So when the waves come over the side, they're filling the bottom of the boat and uh, they've got a sail and they're out on the sea, the Sea of Galilee. Now, four of these disciples are experienced fishermen on this lake. They know what a bad storm is like. They know how suddenly they can be, but they're all scared to death, okay? 
And what they don't realize or, or aren't remembering or aren't thinking is that the one who created the waves and the wind and the storm and the lightning is in the boat with us and he's sleeping. So maybe I should look at things from that perspective. But in the moment, I mean, they're human. They're doing what every one of us would be doing. They'd be free, we'd be freaking out, right? And we'd wake up Jesus, save us, save us, because they know something. He can do something because, you know, look, he's, a, you know. And so to, to their credit, he does say they have little faith. They do have some faith, right? And if it just takes a little faith to move a mountain, Jesus says elsewhere, I'm good with that. But he kind of says it is a, it's almost um, a chastisement. Why are you so afraid? And what does Jesus say over and over? God says this over and over in Scripture. Do not be afraid. Why? For I am with you, right? He's with us, and he's with them. And they're learning this lesson. They're, they're, this is what it means to learn, is to walk with Jesus and learn the lesson by making mistakes along the way, forgetting the lesson that you've already been told, or maybe you've heard it here, but it's never become real in an actual experience until you go through something where you're actually tested to believe that. Do you really believe that if God is with you, you don't need to be afraid? Do you really believe that? They were afraid of dying. Okay, are you? Are you afraid of dying? Now, there's a difference between being afraid of being dead and the process of dying, okay, which includes suffering in some cases. Okay, you can die in your sleep and go like that, or you can die long, slow, painful, suffering kind of death. Nobody is going to blame you for not wanting that. Okay? My question is, are you afraid of being dead? Okay? They're afraid of being dead in this moment, at least. Think about the logic behind that. If you and I really believe that when we die, we become in the presence of our Creator, which means we're alive, not dead, forever alive in His presence, and that the best is yet to come. If we believe those things, then why would we be afraid of death? Because for us as Christians, death is not really death. Death is, I'm moving today, I'm going home. Okay, I'm leaving behind this costume and I'm going to get a brand new body and it's going to be, I'm going to live in a bodily future. It's going to be real. It's going to be more real than this. It's going to be more all the best and none of the bad. That's what scripture teaches. Okay, God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Do you believe that? Okay, do you believe that God rose Jesus, raised Jesus from the dead? Do you believe that? Do you believe the end? New heaven and new earth, right? This is what it means to walk with Jesus. And this is what we're trying to do, right? We're trying to encourage one another towards faith and good deeds, believing and living as if this were true. And I understand doubts. It's not like I don't have doubts, right? I've shared some of those stories where I've had doubts in the past, right? And I'll probably have some doubts in the future. But God has always armed me with reasons to squash the doubts and not give in to them. So how not to follow Jesus is to not be scared to death, to not be scared of death. Even the suffering part, God will give you what you need to get through it. And in the scheme of eternity, even long suffering is like that. You're going to forget it. And God will be with you through it. And if you know someone who's suffered 
he was with them too. And while it might be hard for us to see, they know if they're with the Lord. Okay? So we don't have to be scared to die. We don't have to be, we shouldn't come to Jesus scared to die. We shouldn't come, well, it's okay to come to Jesus scared to die, but let's, let's understand this. If you want to, if you want to get rid of that fear, then you've got to decide, do I believe that this is true? Do I really believe the best is yet to come? Do I really believe that when I leave this life, it only gets better? Then if I believe that, then logically I need to begin to understand mentally, I don't have to fear death. Okay. Yes, there's a sense of the unknown, and I understand that, you know, we're all afraid of the unknown, okay? But the Bible is trying to give us enough of the future to where we have enough to not have to fear the, the future. God does not want us to walk in fear, other than the legitimate kind of fear, right? Bear, run. I mean, I know, whatever. De- depends on the bear, right? I don't know the rules. I'm, I'm going to be tro- toast when the, de- the bear shows up because I'll probably climb the tree and that's the last thing you're supposed to do. Okay. So then, so, so we see here, so he says, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? And it's because they've either forgotten who's with them in the boat or what he can do, right? One more. Uh, when he arrived at the other side. So now they've been in the boat. They've crossed the lake. They're at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes. Okay, this is also known as the Decapolis, which means ten cities. This is a, The reason this is significant is this is not in Israel. We're not in Jewish territory. We're in Gentile territory. Okay, and Jews would Jews look down on Gentiles. Jews considered them enemies, and they considered them someone they're not supposed to love. In fact, they're supposed to hate them. Because that's the way they heard, love your neighbor, but they're not my neighbor because they're not Jews. So I can hate them. That was the mindset. So they're in, they've gone out of bounds with Jesus. Jesus is taken, right? And to not follow Jesus is to be someone that's not willing to go outside of your comfortable boundaries. When he arrived at the other side, he went to the region of the Gadarenes. Two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. Okay, I don't think this is a myth. I think this is historically accurate. Matthew, Luke, they record these kinds of things. Mark, they were so violent, these two men, that no one could pass that way. Okay, this was the hiking trail you never take. Okay, what do you want with us? So Jesus and the disciples walk up to these guys, and there's a voice coming out of these men that is not human. And the voice says, or the voices say, what do you want with us, son of God? Okay, now who's talking? You read a little further, and it's demons, and they call themselves collectively legion. Okay, and a Roman legion is thousands of soldiers. I want to say 6,000. I can't remember the number. They say, they call Jesus son of God. Now, Jesus always refers to himself son of man because he wants to make sure that people know, once you figure out I'm divine, I want you to remember I was human too. Okay? Humanity of Jesus is essential for the gospel to be applicable to you and me because we're human, and unless a human dies in our place, there's no such thing as substitutionary atonement. Right? But Jesus takes my place because he was human, put on flesh, came down. That's Christmas, right? Son of God, have you come to torture us before the appointed time? They know where they're headed. They know this is Jesus. There's no faith required. They know who they're looking at. 
they have greater clarity on who Jesus is than people do. Well, because they've known him for a long time and they rebelled against him and his authority. Okay, They know that there's an appointed time when they will be thrown into the abyss and there will be no more wiggle room. There will be no more people to inhabit. There will be no more pigs to inhabit, which is where they're headed next. Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. What an unusual request. I really don't have an explanation for why. He said to them, go. Notice the authority, go. So they came out and went into the pigs, just as he said, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the waters. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town and reported all of this including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. What happened to the men? They became in their right minds because they were no longer possessed. Okay? When a demon or a spirit inhabits a person, that's being possessed by that spirit. This is why you'll sometimes see on old taverns, they call it, they call them spirits because sometimes the alcohol takes over and it's like you've got a spirit, right? All right, there's, there's, there's parallels in Scripture about this. Do not be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Be drunk on the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, right? In, in other words, don't be controlled by alcohol or any other spirit, for that matter, physical or spiritual. Be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit be the one who leads you and guides you. So it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God reveals himself in those three ways, and all are equal. It's not like, well, first is God, and second is Jesus, and third place is Holy Spirit. You know, it's, it's just we treat them that way because, you know, we don't, we're scared of the crazy uncle of the Holy Spirit. We don't know what to do with him. But but he's that's God, okay? He's God. However he reveals himself, he's God. And he is the same character, and he has the same goal, purpose, which is glory. Because he's the only one worthy of that glory. So here, what do we do here? We, we make sure that we don't push back against going into places that are out of bounds, okay? That could be a geographic boundary. Some of us have never been out of this country. Some of us have never been out of this state. I'm not going to go any smaller, okay? But that happens too, okay? And God says sometimes, I need you to go because I need somebody different from the hometown folks to speak truth to them because they will hear somebody not from around here a little differently than someone who is. And that's why sometimes we need them. Sometimes they're from those distant countries like New York, Texas, right? We need that. We need those different dialects and accents and sometimes from other countries. We need that and they need that. And that's part of why the Great Commission says, go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. Oh, and the ends of the earth. Go, church, to all of those places around the corner and around the world. Go. Okay, you can go for a few days or you can go for a few years. It, just go. We need to live going. So he's, he's saying that here. And he, so these two guys end up in their right mind. And the way the story goes in Mark and Luke give us a lot more detail on the story. But right mind and they, one of them at least, begs to go with Jesus. 
he wants to follow Jesus. He's begging to follow Jesus because he's been delivered and he knows what it feels like and he's got a story to tell. And again, Jesus could say, man, let's, this guy, he's going to really bring him in because he, he was possessed. He would be great to have in the crew, you know? And Jesus says, no, stay here at home and reach these people that none of us are going to reach directly. Go tell them your story. Okay. And to a lot of us, that's the case, right? And, and many of you are going, I don't have to go to China. Oh, good. I don't have to go to Africa. Yeah, but you still have to be a missionary. You get to be a missionary. I should phrase. And this is what we tend to do. We tend to go, if I don't have to be a missionary there, I don't have to be a missionary anywhere. And that is so not right, right? There, there, there are people who walk behind Jesus and then there are people who follow him. And there's a difference. Okay. Which are we? Which are we? So David Platt sums it up really nicely. Talk, we see, we see, we see uh, Jesus' authority over demons. We see Jesus' authority over uh, disease. We saw last week, we see Jesus' authority over danger, disaster. We see his authority over his disciples. If you'll forgive the alliteration, okay? We see Jesus has authority over the whole world. So that means that we should become more and more comfortable trusting in the authority of Jesus, Resting in the authority of Jesus, submitting gladly to the authority of Jesus, and rejoicing in the authority of Jesus. That's worship. That's what it is. And if you find yourself struggling to worship him, then it's because you're having trouble comprehending why he is worthy of that. And that's directly related to you comprehending the authority that he truly has in your life. And maybe you're not trusting, and you're not resting, and you're not submitting and so, of course, you're not going to be rejoicing. Or you're looking at it as, yeah, this is my duty. My religious duty is to go to church. Well, there's no joy in that. Right? If, if you're coming to church out of obligation and duty, go play tennis. You'll have a lot more fun. Okay? But if you believe that there's authority over you that's for your good, then maybe you dig deeper. Maybe open your heart and your mind to what God really wants to say to you. He wants you to get to the place where you're not scared to die. And we didn't get to the other one I wanted to share, which will be next week, and that is the other one where they are scared of what other people think about them. He doesn't want you to be scared about what other people think about you. He doesn't want you to be scared of that. Okay? These are just ways not to follow Jesus. How do you follow Jesus? You don't just walk behind him. You walk away from everything else and say, Jesus is enough. And you live like Jesus is enough. And you say, well, does that mean I have to literally? I'm not going to tell you how to do it. It's different for all of us. But that doesn't mean for some of us, it doesn't mean walk away from it literally. He, he told the rich young ruler to sell everything he had, give it the money to the poor, so he didn't say, sell it all and put it in your pocket. Why? Because he says, I'm enough. Jesus is enough. And I wonder if we're there. I wonder if we live in that place where we believe that he is really enough. Could I really do life with nothing but the clothes on my back and the word of God in my heart? Talking about freedom? You want to be free? You mean I don't have to pay insurance anymore? What are you trying to insure? I don't have bills to pay. You sold it all. You paid it all off. No more debt. Sorry, bankers. Right? Freedom. 
Not freedom from oppression from the government. That's not going away anytime soon. Freedom in the midst of oppression. Freedom behind bars. That's the kind of freedom we're talking about. But you have to believe Jesus truly has authority in my life to send me behind bars. Right? So, first guy, remember, foxes have dens, birds have nests, son of man has nowhere to lay his head. When you say you want to follow Jesus, count the cost. Don't come into this saying, I've got something to offer here. Come on, Jesus, I can help out. You probably need me. No, he does not need us. But he does want us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you uh, that you want us, though we are literally spiritually undesirables. We are spiritual lepers. We are spiritually bankrupt. We were spiritually walking dead until you made us alive in Christ. Through the blood of Christ shed on the cross. Lord, I pray that you would make us, awaken us to the reality of what you're about, what you're doing, and that this life is is just a drop in the ocean of time. And in fact, our most of our existence is going to be outside of this time, this world. May we live as if we believed that the best was yet to come. May we live as if we believed we wouldn't have to do, we don't have to live in fear of what other people think. We don't have to live in fear of dying. We don't have to live with this sense of entitlement and pride and I've got this. We certainly don't have to live compromising. Help us to trust you, to rest in you and your authority, to submit gladly to you and your authority and rejoice in the privilege of walking with you in that authority. Lord, may we pledge allegiance to the Lamb of God who took away, takes away the sins of the world. In Jesus' name, amen.